welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, you guys. I hope everyone is recovering from food coma that you probably had from Thanksgiving. We, if you haven't listened to episode seven yet, we did kind of split diabetes into, because once we recorded it, it was much longer than we anticipated. (laughs) We like to try to keep our episodes around 45 minutes and it was about an hour and a half. So we're splitting it into, this is going to be the second part. And uh, I am very thankful this week that I am still joined with Jordan. Hello. Hey girl. Hopefully, hopefully you got some peace and quiet with kids and family because uh-huh. I don't have kids and like much family around me. So mine's usually chill. I don't know about yours. So. I'll say quiet. That's, that's a funny word. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I am Yvonne. So if you have not figured out who we are yet, definitely take a listen to our episodes. So we're continuing with part two of diabetes. And I just wanted to do a quick shout out from our pancreatitis episode, which was pretty cool, which is episode six. Laura Rosewell, she commented on her Facebook page. She said, great episode, guys. I have two really awful pancreatitis cases in our ICU at the moment. So this is a well-timed episode. One necrosing, SIRS, MODS, acute lung injury, and a pancreatic abscess. He's on fentanyl, lidocaine, ketamine, and gabapentin at the moment and still struggling with pain. I it's sad because I did kind of ask her about it. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, the, the sad outcome that did come from that one, which was a bummer. Yeah. Um, definitely. When you like get into all those. Yeah. And you know, and this is something that I've heard from technicians and we'll, we can talk about this in a different episode, but you know, we do the best that we possibly can with some pretty horrible diseases sometimes. So you know, we appreciate everything everyone does and and for our patients and know that you do make a difference, which is huge. So keep going, even though sometimes it doesn't end well. But thank you, Laura, for talking about pancreatitis. I'm sad it did not have a good outcome, but we are very happy to hear from you. Um, We also, if you have not joined our podcast, Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast group, you can definitely go there. We we share the podcast episode there and we we talk about it. So that's definitely a place to find us. Um, another little housekeeping things, we we do have our technician treasure trove. If you have not signed up for the newsletter yet to get your password, we definitely recommend that. So you definitely you can find that link on our Facebook page as well as if you go to internalmedicineforvettechs.com, you'll see the join us button there. That is how you get your password and you get all sorts of fun goodies for that. And as we continue to update things, we'll put that in there. We also have our CE certificates. So if you're listening to the episode, why not just add some CE certificates to your arsenal? They are going to be a half unit. So half hour of CE, depending on your, you know, your licensing body, they may count in California. I believe they count for Mm -hmm. self-study. Use that. Just depends on the state. 
And then remember, we do have transcripts. So you do need to answer some questions to get your CE certificate. And the transcripts are a really good way to, to kind of help search for answers. Anything else you can think of, Jordan, before we uh, dive back into part two of diabetes? Nope. I mean, that pretty well covered it. So I think this, uh, well, this part two, we will, we start off getting back into diagnostics. So that's where we're going to kind of restart our, this episode. Yeah. So definitely if you have not listened to episode seven, I would, I would definitely recommend listening to that one first and then coming into episode eight. Otherwise it may seem a little bit awkward because we do talk about <laughs> the definition of the disease and everything. So again, we apologize that we broke the things up, but you know, but an hour and really... a half for Thanksgiving, we don't, we don't need to do. Well, and who can really discuss diabetes in only 45 minutes? Let's be real. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, we're going to dive right back into the episode and we hope you enjoy and have, um, have fun listening to, you know, the podcast on your way to work or maybe, you know, on a slower, <laughs> slower day at the, at the clinic. I, I don't know if I don't think those exist, but you know, <laughs> sometimes you have time to listen to something, right? Yeah. Let's dive back in. Kind of where we were leading to after your tech obtains your samples, what do you run off these samples? So full chemistry, electrolytes, CBC, T4, because they are showing, they are exhibiting weight loss, ravenous appetite, spec CPL or FPL, just to kind of determine if we are positive or abnormal or or I, th I think I prefer a number. So if that number is high for pancreatitis, I know the snap test just says abnormal or normal, but that way too, you know, just your, your patient's probably a little uncomfortable if those are high or abnormal. Yeah. Mm. And, and also that's good for further monitoring, right? Mm -hmm. Like is, is the pancreatitis getting worse? Is it getting better? So we, we like to have the number versus just abnormal. Model. Yeah. Yeah. Us too. And then of course, ruling out the, you have those stress cats with those borderline high or well, high blood sugars of 250, you want to rule out diabetes by checking a urinalysis sample. So glucose urea in dogs occurs. So where they spill glucose into the urine occurs in dogs when their blood sugars between 180 and 200 and cats, it's greater than 300. So you rule out that stress induced hyperglycemia in cats if they're not losing glucose into the urine. Mm -hmm. So you do want to do that dipstick and see, okay, the dipstick's negative. The only thing is, is like, I recently was told, which is funny because it says greater than 300. I was recently told that some stressed cats can actually spill glucose in their urine to make it even more difficult. And I'm like, well, then how the oh. heck, right? I was like, that's, that's not fair. That's one of my diagnostics. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's then, my tool. Yeah. So they said fructosamine really is kind of the best way. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, okay. We'll talk about that. Yeah. I know. I know we've had some clients that like we'll send a cat home with steroids and we know it's going to be long-term. We have clients buy like those glucose strips so then they can monitor mm, kind mm -hmm. of daily for a couple days or like once every couple weeks to see if they're like consistently spilling glucose. Yeah. Sometimes my doctors will have them buy those at like, I think, I think you could just get them over the counter at like your local pharmacy. Yeah. Like CBS and I think you can get them at or whatever. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can get them on Amazon now too, the ketone uh, strips yeah. and the glucose strips. So yeah. good old Amazon. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and then a urine culture too, just to rule out that U UTI mm -hmm. um, because glucose in the urine does predispose them to infections. Yeah. 
sugar is a great medium in urine for growing bacteria. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the other things too, of course, this is all like gold standard stuff, right? Like if you, if your clients can't afford it, then do what, you know, do what they can afford. We'd rather treat and use money for treatment than diagnosis. But Mm -hmm. ideally we would get an abdominal ultrasound too, to look at, you know, the liver, like most of the times their livers are going to be big because of the um, glycogen storage and and just inflammation and that kind of thing. We're going to look at the pancreas. Does it look like we have pancreatitis going on? We're going to look at the bladder or the kidneys and the bladder. Do we see like pyelonephritis where we see infection, you know, dilating of that? Do we see stones in the, in the bladder? You know, what do we, what do we have going on? Um, So that's all with ultrasound. We would, we would be able to evaluate that too and make sure there aren't concurrent diseases that we need to deal with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing too, about this more with dogs is we're going to look at the adrenal glands, right? Do they look huge? Like, Oh, we're also cushionoid because mm-hmm. that causes insulin resistance as well. So, but I, when I was studying, I learned too, that Cushing's does occur in cats, obviously not as often, but that causes insulin re- resistance, but I've not- seen one cushionoid cat. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen one. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw one and it, but, and it did not end well for that cat. They usually do no. not do well with Cushing's unfortunately. No. It's sad. So we talked about fructosamine. Fructosamine is kind of like the equivalent of the human, like A1C kind of thing. Um, so fructosamine, what it's going to do is it's going to, it, it only gets elevated if the blood has been elevated consistently and and the fructosamine looks over a two-week period um Mm -hmm. so if we see an elevated fructosamine that means it's been consistently elevated the last two weeks so if you have a one-off high bg it's not going to really affect the fructosamine but again consistent so we we like this one for monitoring cats because cats in a clinic to do a bg curve most of the times you're going to have skewed results because they're stressed out. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the ketone again, or excuse me, the fructosamine can check to see how they're doing at home, hopefully in a not so stressed environment. Yeah. And then the ketones, um, you could do serum ketone or you could do urine ketone mm-hmm. um, to see, you know, is, is, are we using our fat stores instead of our glucose for energy and are we having issues? So we, yeah. we check that as well. And those are kind of the special tests for diabetes. Ketones bad. Ketones are very bad. So <laughs> it's nice when we have a DK in the hospital though, and we check ketones every day and it goes from like large to small to nice. trace. And I'm like, it. yay. Yeah. It's so rewarding. Yes. And so we're going to talk about treatment options for diabetes. We're going to focus mainly on outpatient care because hospitalization mm-hmm. To me, that's more of your diabetic ketosis or diabetic mm-hmm. ketoacidosis. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in the next episode, kind of more in depth, because that's that is very labor intensive and very specific to the hospitalization protocol. Whereas your you know your typical just diagnosed diabetic most of the times can just be outpatient care. So things to talk to your clients about is going to be diet right? We want to minimize the effect of diet on blood glucose. And so the theories for cats, we do high protein, low carb, 
or like if, if, you know, you have kidney disease as well and you can't do a high protein, you can do a high fiber with a moderate carb and that can help regulate their blood sugar. And then with dogs, not only are we doing consistent twice a day feeding, we like a high fiber diet. So when I think high fiber, I think of like WD. So it's yeah. common for our diabetic patients to be on, uh, or diabetic dogs to be on WD, but they don't eat it. They don't eat it. So we also have yeah. to figure out what they're going to eat. Yeah. It seems like a constant battle when they're like, my, my pet doesn't like WD. And I'm like, I know, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I wish I could make it good. Yeah. Some dogs love it and I know they're all about it. And others are like, no. And so, you know, the other thing too, we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about client communication, but with dogs and cats that are diabetic, when they're on insulin, we have to be very consistent about how much we're feeding. Um, and we make sure it's every 12 hours as best as we can. Obviously, if we have a free feeder, mm -hmm. that makes things difficult, but we want to keep it as consistent as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I know when we have like diabetic appointments coming in just for us to do an ultrasound on or something like that, we don't have them fast for these procedures. Um, we have them give insulin as normal. And typically what we'll do is we'll just, I mean, we, we kind of talked about how quickly the stomach empties. So we try to schedule those a little bit later in the day so they don't have to fast. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. We, we definitely tell them not to fast um, because mm -hmm. you want the food and the insulin like usual. Don't mess with that. And I, I thought this was really interesting because I don't, I don't think I do this enough, but when we're talking about anesthesia on diabetic patients, they, they do need to be fasted. <clears throat> so yeah. according to both the books that I was looking at, which was cool is um, basically you want to give the, the day before you give the normal evening meal and insulin. You want to say no food after 10 o'clock at night, no food or insulin the morning of the procedure. Once that pet gets into the hospital, we're going to check their blood glucose. We're going to give somewhere between a quarter to a half of their normal amount of insulin. Obviously the vet's going to tell us how much to give. And then right before anesthesia, just check their BG, see where they're at. And then during the procedure, every 30 minutes, you just want to check their glucose to make sure we're not having too high or too low. And ideally during the anesthetic procedure, we're maintaining our blood glucose between 150 and 250. And then we can use like a glucose um, CRI. So, you know, our, our, our 5% solution or two and a half, depending on what's going on. And then we can do either regular insulin injections or CRIs to help maintain them at the 150 to 250. Mm -hmm. I know we don't do that as much as we probably should. And I was like, Oh, that might be something I talk to my clinic about or my hospital about to see if, you know, we, we should look at our anesthetic protocols for our diabetic patients. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I actually did anesthesia on a diabetic though. Cause normally yeah, it's not we have a DKA, common, so they're not stable enough for anesthesia. Yeah. We have a couple <laughs> of them that come in because they have concurrent stuff. So we, you know, like, uh, we're worried about GI lymphoma or, um, the other, the other big thing is if they're also cushionoid yeah. and now they have a gallbladder mucosal. That's my favorite. Yeah, we like, saw oh, that yesterday. <laughs> See, <Yeah>. it happens. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, you know, we just have to take that into account, you know, for anesthesia. Yeah. If you're, if you're oh. doing anesthesia. I would say in a, in a general practice, 
you know, you're probably going to be doing some dental cleanings on these. Kids. Oh yeah. So yeah, definitely. You know, keep that in mind. So I think for this disease, just diabetes in general, client education and just really communicating what with the client, what they should expect at home is huge. This is a really big part of, of these cases is just client education. So clients really should understand that there is no cure for diabetes. So quality of life for both the patient and the client is important. Clients need to feel comfortable with what they're doing to their pet. And I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's pretty important. I d- I'm not sure. I wouldn't say euthanizing a pet just because a client doesn't want to give injections. That's a little absurd. But I do think that they need to realize it's pretty monotonous and pretty routine that they need to be like twice a day, every day, giving injections to their pet and then maybe even checking blood sugars pretty frequently that I think yeah. that just needs to be communicated. Well, and I think, you know, the the educating that this isn't, a one and done mm-hmm. kind of thing that like this is for the rest of the pet's life mm-hmm. you know they really need to be committed to doing that so if if you've got and it's it's more so like your dkas where you're about to drop a bunch of money for hospitalization yeah. you know they have to understand that we're not fixing this you need to be committed to doing the injections and the feedings and and understanding that you have to be home at a certain time every day to give the food and the insulin. Like you can't just be like, whatever, I'm going to go party after work or, you know, it, it does. I would say for some, it, you can get caregiver fatigue with, with diabetes. Oh, yeah. And, and that is something that they need to also be aware of. Yeah. I would say for your straightforward diabetics, you know, it, I wouldn't necessarily say, yeah, euthanize them now, but like, if you've got comorbidities going mm-hmm. on, you've got a dog that, or a cat for that matter, that gets extremely aggressive for injections, that might be, you know, a reason to euthanize. Um, We had a pet, he was DKA and the owners went forward with it and he was a caution in the hospital for us. And then, you know, within a month of being at home had, I mean, thankfully it was a tiny dog. It's probably like a 15 pound dog, but severely bit the owner while giving insulin. So yeah, you know, if those might be some limitations on, on an animal, if, if they're aggressive for the injections and the clients can't do it at home, you know, that needs to be something to talk about the client. Or I feel like too, even if the whole entire home situation is just stressful for the pet. So like checking Mm -hmm. blood sugars or just giving the insulin, you're caught, you're inducing stress, trying to help manage blood sugar, but it's, it's not, you're never really going to fully control that diabetic patient if every time getting insulin or checking a blood sugar is extremely stressful. Yeah. So that yeah. needs to be considered too because mm-hmm. dogs, it's forever. Cats can go into remission. It doesn't happen as often as I think people would hope. I've seen it. <laughs> I wish it was every <laughs> Yeah. Right. They, it's interesting. They say about 25 to 50% of cats go into remission. Yeah, I've definitely seen it, but it's, it's not as frequent as, you know, we, we hope <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. I've had, I've had one, one dog go into remission. Oh, I've never had a dog um, go into remission. <laughs> yeah. And it was really funny cause it was uh, an employee owned dog yeah. and, and he had been diabetic for like five years. I'm not oh, wow. talking like, yeah. So we keep looking for the insulinoma. Yeah. <laughs> we have yet to find it. 
<laughs> but we swear it's got to be in there. It's been like two years now and we're just like. Because what do they say for cats? Like if, if cats are diabetic for a year or longer, then they're likely to never go into remission. I, I think it's something along those lines because of the, the damage to, to the, the pancreas. Yeah, cells. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, so I think it's also important to just to inform clients that like, if you have a diabetic patient, <clears throat> your vacations are going to be different. You need to find either a pet sitter who's qualified or skilled enough to do it or able enough to come twice a day at a specific time. Mm-hmm. But uh, boarding facilities, especially, again, this goes back to stress. If your pets get stressed out in a boarding facility, their blood sugars are going to be all out of whack. I mean, even you going mm-hmm. on vacation can kind of throw them out of whack. We've had several yeah. diabetic, previously diabetic patients come in DKA because their parents were just out of town or they were just boarding or they had a pet sitter mm. and the dogs got super stressed out. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, going, going along that we've, we, we recommend, so especially in households where you have multiple people that are, they're dealing with the animal. So food and, and maybe giving the insulin, you want to be very careful about tracking mm-hmm the the insulin dosage so we so the pet health journal is great for that you can you know you could put the insulin in there and then somebody gives it puts an initial or just a check mark or something because i've had it a couple of times where a a pet comes in with insulin overdose Mm -hmm. because you know a client you know, mom came home and fed the dogs and gave the insulin and then dad came home and fed the dogs and gave insulin right because Dogs don't tell you all the time. Yeah. So that's something, you know, to, to make sure that we keep track of. And they can also track, you know, how is the 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 thirst and the, mm-hmm. the urination and the hunger, you know, and see if we can keep that quality of life good. So keeping track of that's great. And then they can bring it with them to their appointments and discuss it. Yeah. Well, you need to be discussing that during yeah. appointments. And, so. and follow-ups are important. And this is important for clients to understand too, that the first few months of a new diabetic are not just like, you're going home on five units of insulin twice a day, see you back in a year. That's not, it, mm. it needs mm-hmm. to be informed to them that we like to start out low on the insulin dose. We like to check this once your pet is more stable and relaxed and back in their normal environment and we're likely going to have to make adjustments to these doses so rechecking until that glycemic control is well established um, ideally rechecking that once a week Um, and then of course like i said keeping track or like yvonne said keeping track of the pupd if they think that their pet is gaining back some weight that they may have lost that their appetite's normal and then once we kind of reach that point, it's it's still not over. They're still going to need to recheck every couple of weeks to every couple of months, hopefully, is ideally where you'd like to land every couple of months. But sometimes that's still too much for clients. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was interesting when I was reading it in the endocrinology book, they were saying once a week until the you know control happens, then at about six to eight weeks after, and then 10 to 12, then 14 to 16, and then every four months. And I'm like, I work in internal medicine and I don't think I do it that frequently. Now, some of them, yes, but you know, I think that's a gold standard treatment. If you've got a client who has pet insurance or has a lot of money, <laughs> um, or they just want to make sure they follow it to a T, that might be something that's recommended. But if not, you make adjustments, right, to what they're able to do and also, you know, monitoring for that, the, the control that, that needs to be there. 
So we have the journal. So we talked about that. So tracking your insulin dose, especially if there's adjustments, right? You can, you can have the owner keep track of like how their pet's doing after an adjustment. We have the um, options of the, the syringes, which is most of the times I think what we're used to. There's also the new insulin pens. So I think I think Betzlin makes the insulin pens. Um, so that's an option, especially um, I just had this last week, I had um, an older lady, you know, she's like in her eighties and this is her little friend dog that she likes, but she doesn't feel comfortable with syringes. So she wanted the insulin mm-hmm. pens. Cool. Well, we'll get you the insulin pens ordered up. Um, sometimes we just do what we need to for them. Um, we're monitoring water intake, urination, and energy level, right? Once they get feeling better, hopefully their energy comes back and they feel like they can be more. Yeah. Yeah. And then we talk a lot with our clients about if they're comfortable checking blood sugar at home. Cause like you said, gosh, at the beginning that pets are just more comfortable at home. Their blood sugars are going to be not falsely elevated, but stress related, elevated in the hospital when trying to do those blood sugar curves in the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I made a couple handout sheets for spot checking before, before Freestyle Libre, we will modify those and try to get those up in our technician treasure trove to use. And then of course, the continuous glucose monitors, which are extremely helpful, but from what I read, they are more useful in dogs or like more accurate in dogs than cats. They stay on longer. Yeah. Um, I know for, for now, I think they're working on it, but technically they're, they're just for yeah. humans. So they're working on getting the veterinary one, which I think is going to be huge once it actually oh, yeah. happens, but we've, we've been using them on our both we've done both we've done for hospitalized patients as well as outpatient. Yeah. And the one thing that I will say about them is uh, if you've never, if you, if you've sent them home with a client, but you've never looked at the packaging that comes in there, I will, I'll put out, I'll upload the handout that I just created for it. There is a booklet in there that talks about how to, manage your blood sugars using the information you get from the freestyle libre the problem with that is it's geared towards Mm -hmm. humans and it talks about adjusting doses and keeping it in a specific blood sugar range i when you're when you're talking to your clients about this just either take that information out (laughs) or just let them know do not do not change doses this is geared towards humans don't, don't use this information because I, we had, when we first started using them, we had these clients calling and they're like, oh my God, my dog's sugar is above 280. What do I do with his insulin? And we're like, well, nothing. That's a great number. But the problem is, is in the, in the literature that came with the monitors, it talks about that's too high and that you need to adjust those. So just, just be aware of that. And like I said, I'll put in the technician treasure trove, the, the handout that mm-hmm. I created for the freestyle library specifically. Yeah. And I do think those are, they're, they're yeah, great. I think those are great, especially for clients. I mean, I feel bad as a technician, just poking a pet every two to three hours yeah. in the hospital, yeah. let alone being an owner who has to poke them twice a day normally, and then poke them every two hours for 10 hours, 12 hours. So I, I think that's, it's pretty good. I will say that it's pretty important to inform people that when you get the 14 day sensor to inform them that it doesn't stay on for 14 days because it's geared towards humans, but 
they don't, they're not made for dogs and cats to really stay on for 14 days completely. So I try to tell people that those are good, usually between five and 10 days. However, I haven't had one last for 12 really? days. So I, I very rarely get them to come off early. Really? And so here's the thing. Yeah. So I'll put, I'll put some pictures cause I took pictures and stuff to show <laughs> some of my coworkers, but so you clip, you clip the area, you prep it. Mm-hmm. There's like the little alcohol swab. So you get the oils yeah. off of it. And then we took a little tiny bit of skin yeah, glue we did too. and we put little drops on there and then put it on, you hold it for a minute, but then do you put a wrap on the We patient? have like a little like surgical sock thing. Yeah. So we either do that or, um, cause we've been putting it like on the lateral. Neck I think what happens most of the time is the owners will take it off. And then like, I think our one client who did take it off, just put a bandana on. And so it was just like, so it's just one of those things where like, it just stopped working after 12 days or 10 days, but it's, Mm. and then I know yeah, we say 10 to 14 days is usually like the time period on those things. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had one fall off as early as five, but I know I've heard about them coming off pretty early or stop working that early because the dog's just rambunctious or rolling on the floor and it slips. I think you, I think you mentioned this earlier in the episode, we talked about cataracts. Mm -hmm. So dogs are going to get cataracts. It's just, unfortunately, it's one of the things that clients need to be aware of. And the reason for that is the insulin can cross the blood aqueous barrier in the eye and then it deposits within the eye and causes lipids to attract to that area. So that's, unfortunately, we're going to get cataracts for these guys. You, you can depending on the client, they're really concerned about it. It's really bad. They can go to an ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. Did have one of my clients actually do that and um, have surgery Mm -hmm. to get the cataracts removed, but it's not, it's not cheap. They're also diabetic. So, you know, you're, you do have some higher risk with anesthesia, but I mean, it's an option, especially, you know, if, if you've got insurance again and things are covered, that's a great option. Um, Just because you know, it is, cost prohibitive for a lot of clients, but it's something that can be done. Just, just throwing that out there. Yeah. I think we've had several clients do it just mostly with the patients who just don't do well being blind. But unfortunately we did have one, like after she had cataract surgery, just, we could not get her back to like being regulated, well-regulated. And so she was euthanized shortly after. Huh. Like she developed pancreatitis and it just like, it just got really bad. Her eyes look good. Yeah. Unfortunately, anesthesia can sometimes upset the pancreas. Slightly. (laughs) all that that business. The other thing too, we talk about is a strict regimen with that diet. I talk to clients that, you know, if you're not going to do the prescription diet, whatever diet that you pick, hopefully it's, it's one that's recommended. You want to do the same quantity of food every day, the same type. You're not switching it up. You can include treats in your diet plan. Just make sure you're accounting for them in the calories. And I say give the same amount of treats every day. So don't go no treats one day and then 15 the next. And you're going to want to do every 12 hours if they're on insulin. And so that's just, you know, with, with diet, that's something to be pretty cognizant of. I tell clients to um, ice cubes yeah. for dogs make great treats because it's crunchy, but there's no value. Yeah. To I it think a lot of other than water I've had, I'd, I've had to have the talk with several clients about, they're like, but I give my dogs like vegetables for treats. And I'm like, well, what vegetables? And they're like carrots. And I'm like, carrots have a lot of sugar in them. So it's, mm-hmm. I think it's just trying to make clients aware that 
if you're going to do a treat, yes, stick with the specific treats. Not all vegetables are mm-hmm. good. I do like the ice yeah, cube plan. Yeah, just with people. <laughs> celery's, celery's good. Lettuce is good. Um, ice cubes. My dog called our refrigerator an automatic treat dispenser. Oh, my dogs get so excited for ice cubes. Yeah. Like they hear it and they come running from the mm-hmm. other room and you're like, okay, good Lord. It's just an ice cube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the big things that I like to talk to clients about is just signs of hypoglycemia. So what to look out for and what to do about mm-hmm. it. Obviously. Yeah, it's super critical that they understand that. Yeah. So I tell people look out for weakness, lethargy, vomiting, especially after like if they eat, they get their insulin and then they vomit up at their entire meal. You need to be aware mm. that hypoglycemia could happen here soon. We've had, I had one cat who was in like a diabetic coma, just lateral, but the owner noticed it fairly quickly. The cat was like sitting in a corner, just like dazed and confused, just staring at the wall. And then by mm. the time she actually yeah. was able to get to us, like was lateral and diabetic coma, cat came back and is still alive, I'm pretty sure. And that was like six years ago. So, so I think trying to warn clients about what to look for and then what to do. They want to, I like to have people check a blood sugar, give caro syrup or maple syrup applied to the gums and then call or just come straight to the clinic. If they're able to check a blood sugar, it's obviously not like as important as just trying to get something in. And if the pet is still coherent enough, just try to feed them. Mm -hmm. But I do try to make sure that all my diabetic clients know to have caro syrup or maple syrup on hand. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be a lot. And, and you want to make sure that they're like just basically putting it on the gums because the capillaries will absorb the sugar mm-hmm. versus, you know, trying to syringe it down their throats. Cause at that point they're probably not swallowing. Um, so you want to make sure that you're not going to like poke them with it. So just apply it to the gums, let it absorb kind of thing. And, and usually that's enough to get them coherent. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we kind of get them in and see what's up. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully it's just a simple, like there's just too much insulin. Maybe the pet does just doesn't need as much now. Or hopefully it's something as simple as mom and dad yeah. <laughs> both gave insulin and you're like, well, don't do it ever again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then I think too, a lot of clients don't understand how to handle their insulin. So just being, mm-hmm. and it threw me for a loop, by the way, when Vetslin like changed it. Now you shake it that I just, Yeah. Um, it's funny because I was reading that in the endocrinology book, um, because it's the most recent one and they're like, well, there's studies now that say that you can shake it for Vetsilin, but not the others yet. And I'm like, how about we just not shake it? (laughs) Like, why do we have to study that? (laughs) And, and the reason behind it, in case you don't remember this is the insulin protein, it's a protein. Mm -hmm. So that when you shake it, it can actually break down that protein and deactivate it. Same being said of you don't want to freeze it. You don't want it in a hot car because it can actually deactivate. Yeah. But yeah, the the whole shaking the Vetslin through me, like it just. Yeah. Yeah. I luckily we don't use Vetslin as often as we use like Humil and N. So I still give them instructions for gently mix. It's good for three months. So after you open the bottle, I, we do tell our clients to discard the bottle after three months. And it, it's yeah. kind of cost consuming for clients, especially those ones who are only giving maybe like three to five units twice a day. They're not going to go yeah. through that bottle and yes, they're going to waste some. 
but yeah. And, and it was interesting because in the, because we say after three months puncture, which is crazy because if you're getting insulin from a human pharmacy, our pharmacists in this area tell them after a yeah, month to throw ours away too. and they call us freaking out. And I'm like, no, 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 our doctors are okay with three months. And in the endocrinology book, it actually said that you can use it longer until the expiration date, as long as you're not noticing symptoms. And I was like, but why do we want to go there? <laughs> like really? Yeah. So I, you know, and that's, and that's something that is important to ask your client if you're seeing a pet that's been well-controlled, you know, all of a sudden they're not being well-controlled. One, did you get a new bottle of insulin recently? Or two, is it an older bottle of insulin? Because, you know, that could be part of it as well. So like if all of a sudden they're hard to control, well, how old is their mm -hmm. insulin? Um, so that's just something, you know, that clients should be aware yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. So we will switch clients from like vet salon to humulin. And then, so we do make it extremely well noted to the clients. We'll even write it down for them. I'll tell them to put their insulin syringes elsewhere because vet salon uses the U40 syringes, humulin uses U100s. And there's a big difference on, on using this. So we tell people, if you don't want to throw them away, just put them in a different room, different areas, somewhere completely separate from your normal insulin routine. Right. You can even like, it's a good idea to have it like in a Ziploc bag with like a note that says, don't use these, <laughs> you know? Um, cause yeah, sometimes we do switch back and forth, um, depending on, on how that patient's doing. And it's good for them to remember too, that when they're ordering insulin syringes, depending on where they're getting them from, like a human pharmacy is only going to have U 100s. They're not going to have U 40 syringes. So they need to be aware of that. Um, if they're doing Vetsalin, we say like Chewy.com or, you know, one of the other online pharmacies, they're going to have the U 40s um, because U 40 is veterinary only. So that's just, you know, it's one of the things that they have to be aware of um, because if you're giving the, like, let's say you're using a U100 insulin mm -hmm. and then they accidentally use a U40 syringe, you're going to give about two and a half times the amount of insulin for the same unit number. So you're going to give two units with a U100. That's actually closer to like nine units of insulin with a U40 of, of the, the volume, right? So you just want to be, you want them to understand that they're going to overdose their pet if they go from a U100 to a U40 or the opposite being true, you know, said if they're using a U40 insulin and then they all of a sudden get a U100, they're going to be underdosing their pet. So just making sure that they know to look at the insulin syringe mm -hmm. and make sure that it's the right one. Ideally they're doing that, you know, each time they get new syringes kind of thing. Yeah. And I think training sessions are important too, especially mm -hmm. when you have those like not well-regulated ones. What I, what I like to do is I have the client show me how they give the insulin. I'll show them first and mm. then I have them show me, but I had a client once mm -hmm. who the dog just wasn't well-regulated at home, but when we would do mm -hmm. in clinic blood sugar curves, the curves were great. And, but the hmm. dog was still very PUPD at home. So what she was doing when she showed me, she would pinch the skin and then she would go straight down with the needle. So it was almost like a, the needle just wasn't getting sub Q. It was more of like a dermal dose of insulin because she would just pinch it and then yeah, just go straight in. But it, she also preferred the shorter needles. So it was very, 
was it was very interesting that it, it took a lot of a lot of demonstrations to kind of show her how to go in at an angle and not go straight down like into because it was it was very unusual I think and then I think too a lot of people I know when I learned how to give insulin times have changed because we would we would give it up in the scruff a lot and now I like to give it between the shoulder blades and the hip bones like on the flank area Mm. I feel like it's absorbed better versus up in the scruff it doesn't get absorbed as well Hmm. interesting I don't know if there's studies on that I should look that up yeah I'd be I'd be interested in seeing that the other thing it the the book was talking about is to kind of rotate spots so you don't want to give the insulin injection in the same spot every time because you can cause scar tissue if you're doing in the same place and the potential for sensitivity or abscesses and stuff so that's interesting that that they kind of mentioned that because i i think i i'm not good about telling clients to rotate oh yeah i'm probably not as good as i should (laughs) Um, but you can do, you can do several training sessions, like, um, you know, when they're first diagnosed and maybe at the next check-in appointment, you can be like, Hey, you know, do you have any questions about, you know, giving the insulin? And some people Mm -hmm. do great with it and others, they struggle. And so sometimes they just need the, the okay, that if they're struggling, they can ask you and, and, you know, yeah, yeah, I agree. And most pets I think are really they do tolerate it really well. They're really good for the injections. Most yeah. of them. But some... I think I think clients freak out oh, yes. way more than they need to. And a lot of times I tell them, I'm like, you're probably more nervous about it than than your pet is about it. And they're gonna notice that you're nervous. So try to try to relax, try to get into that happy place. And and I always tell them, I'm like, pretty soon you're gonna be better at this than I am. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, mm-hmm. so you know, it's a learning curve. Just be okay with that. But there are some patients that, um, aren't so good for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do think it's, it's okay for you to tell your clients if their pet might need a muzzle or an e-collar or some other way to not get bit while giving the insulin. But then that kind of goes back to good quality of life for the client and the, and the pet. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, I have a, one of my own dogs, she's wonderful except for trimming her toenails so yes she gets muzzled for trimming her toenails mind you i've stapled this dog and i've sutured her and she's never bitten me Mm. but trimming her toenails so i think if it were one of those situations where i just needed to muzzle her to give her an injection it wouldn't be an ordeal it wouldn't be she'd be like okay yeah it just depends on on the animals and the owners mm -hmm. to see what's gonna be best for them but another thing too to remember is like just like with us in clinics it is how your body language is too, as you're approaching them. Cause you know, if the, if the clients are sweating profusely, they got the stress <laughs> on, they're freaking out and they're like shaking with the needle, their owner's going to pit or their owner, <laughs> their pets are their owners. The pet's going to notice that their owner is freaking out and they won't understand why. And so, you know, getting in that happy place, you know, is, is a good thing and just making it not such a big ordeal is it's good for both. Yeah. I think what's important too, cause sometimes this for, gets forgotten and I, I kind of forget here and there, but it's okay. Like if, and I try to tell clients this, it's okay. If you miss, if you give the insulin injection, but it, you see it comes out the other side because you're like, Oh, the first way inform them, do not redose. Like just, yeah, no. just make a note of it. Just let them write it in your journal saying like, Hey, ins- or site was wet. So probably missed the dose, but do not 
redos because I've had several clients call and be like, well, I missed because it was wet or I think I missed. And so I redosed and now he's hypoglycemic. And so it's just one of those things where I try to really let them know that it's going to happen. It can happen. It's not a big deal. Just Mm -hmm. move on to the rest of your day and then try again in the evening. Yeah. And and just let them know, okay, well, that day they're probably going to drink more. They're probably going to pee more. They're probably not going to feel as good. Yeah. But that's better than being hypoglycemic and potentially seizuring. Yeah, exactly. So so it's okay. You know, just, just move on. Yep. And I think, you know, talking to clients, letting them know the long-term goals of this disease is comfort for both of the pet and the, the owner. We're not curing anything. It's just making sure they have good quality of life. We're talking about follow-up, you know, we yeah. don't, we don't really have too many options as far as, you know, diabetes. It's not like we can cure it with surgery or anything yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday, but not now. We just really um, want to reduce the symptoms that the owners are seeing at home. So yeah. I think that's important for them to understand that you're going to have good days and bad days, but as long as the majority of the days are good and you've reduced the symptoms and your pet's feeling good, then that's important. Exactly. Yep. Some of the cautions with, with diabetes. So insulin overdose, we talked about that. So making sure that, you know, if you have multiple people that are, that are handling the insulin, that they have a way to communicate like with the pet health journal or some other way, whatever it is that they, they want to do. We also talk to our clients that if a pet doesn't eat, we give a half dose of insulin. And the reason for that is they may not be eating because their sugars are too high, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So if they're too high, sometimes they don't want to eat. So we don't want to not give them any insulin in case, um, unless, you know, you can check in glucose and check the glucose and see where they're at. And then, you know, wait until the next meal. Um, hopefully they just eat and it's not a problem, but if they go, if they don't eat at the next meal, do not give insulin. Again, if you can check glucose, great. If not, then you want to make sure that you get in and visit your vet to see if they're too high, too low. Obviously you're going to monitor too. Yeah. And to see if something else is going on that's mm-hmm. causing your pet to not want to eat. So mm-hmm. like maybe they are developing. This <laughs> <laughs> is going to come up so much. There's a reason why the episode was an hour long. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think one interesting thing is the Samoji effect that Mm -hmm. it took me probably a while when I was working in GP to realize that that was like a thing. I Um, did not know about Samoji when I was (laughs) in GP. It wasn't until I worked in a specialty practice that I even heard of the word and I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, So I don't think it's a common thing that's talked about no I definitely don't because I think I think the go-to is to just treat it and so you don't really realize like what's happening you're like oh shoot the blood sugar just like spiked like crazy so it's it's the body's response to low blood sugar so Mm -hmm. then you have that rapid increase of blood sugar um Mm -hmm. I studied this forever I was gonna say we talked about it in the beginning where you know, we produce glucagon, right? Yeah. Which releases sugar. Mm-hmm. So what happens is if, if the body gets too low, the body's like, Oh geez, I need to do something about this. It releases the glucagon, which, which then goes to liver and then glycogen is released. And mm-hmm. so we see a spike in the blood glucose. Well, it, instead of looking like that pretty bell curve, all of a sudden it goes, it dips down, it goes up and it dips down. Mm-hmm. And that usually happens with the nadir. And, and if you've Remember, nadir is the the halfway mark of the drug. 
So at the halfway point, we should see it be at the lowest. But if all of a sudden you see it go down and then spike back up and then go down and come back up, you're probably simogying that pet. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's very important when we're doing a glucose curve, you know, that we get more than just like, oh, we have our beginning number, we have our six hour mark and mm -hmm. then our 12, because you could get a high, but you're missing the dip down, Yeah, yeah. Um, which is why we do the curve to make sure that, you know, and we're I, not simogying. I think that's where those like continuous glucose monitors come into play too, because they are yeah. really good. Because we do, like I said, our blood sugar curves, we do every two to three hours where we're checking, mm -hmm. but you can still miss that. Like we might have a really good number. That's like 150, and we're like, this is great. It's the perfect curve. And then maybe mm -hmm. it just dips a little bit lower, but slightly not like scary. And then all of a sudden we're back up at 400 and we're like, what the heck? It's only been two hours. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's just, yeah, it's the emoji effect. Yeah. And so basically what happens if you see the emoji, that means we're giving too much insulin. So that means we need to back off. So the problem is if you're not catching that, that dip down and you just see the higher number, doctors may say, Oh, we need to increase our insulin dose yep. instead of decreasing it. And then that's when we, a lot of times we'll get them in our clinic. They've been difficult to regulate, but really what's happening is we're simoging. So a lot of times what we do is we back them off their insulin yeah. and then kind of creep back up to see where's a good level. So that's just, it's just one of those things that you kind of have to be aware of and, and clients not so much, but most of the times it's us in the clinic. Yeah. Need to understand it. Yeah. And that, I think that's just like the technician side of it. Like we, uh, we've definitely seen that where we have like a five kid dachshund come in and they're on 11 units and I'm like, why? But they're unregulated. And, and then we, mm. we do the same thing. We just back them off a little bit and turns out their real dose should be around like seven and it's yeah. cause they were Samojian. Well, and the other thing that we need to remember is insulin needs can vary over time, mm -hmm. right? If you've got more stress, if you've got inflammation, if you've got a concurrent disease going on, you may need more or less insulin based on what's happening within the body. Um, and yes. that's part of the reason why when we first diagnose them, we have to, we start off low because the body needs to be like, oh, hey there's insulin in my body again. Mm -hmm. What do I do with it? And so it is the body's way of figuring out what needs to happen. Plus, you know, other things that are going to affect how much blood sugar there is. So it's not a static set it and forget it. It really is. It's an art. <laughs> yeah. It is an art to be able to manage that. Um, well, I, yeah. And I, I think too, it's just a matter of like those blood sugar curves you don't you just don't always see where the low really is mm -hmm. so I think that's where yeah like a continuous blood glucose monitor really comes into play and like you said even they're when they get out of the hospital if they're DKA and then they go back home we start them low because once mm -hmm. they get into their normal routine there's less stressors on their body so yeah we we know that their dose adjustment might not be as much as it would have been in the hospital so it's the tip of the week uh, so this week's tip of the week, we kind of have a couple of them um, just because we can't make up our minds. So the first <laughs> one is going to be um, the technician treasure trove on the website uh, there. Again, if you haven't joined our newsletter list, um, we, we definitely recommend it. Once you sign up, you'll get the password for the technician treasure trove because it is a password protected because we don't want just anybody getting all this amazing information that we have. <laughs> 
but it is it is password protected. So sign up for the newsletter. You'll get the password. You can use it as as many times as you want. So definitely save the password, save the website. And that for our client handouts are going to be. We'll make sure that we get up there for the continuous. Uh, the freestyle Libra, the, so the continuous blood glucose monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan, we're going to create a really cool handout as far as like getting blood glucose on pets at home. Mm-hmm. The other part too, um, that, that is part of the tip. I don't know if we talked about this, but if you have not visited the Vetsalin website, so vetsalin.com, I definitely recommend it. There's, there's really cool, there's really great information for pet owners on there for dogs and cats specifically. There's also, I believe they have an app where clients can track um, insulin and blood glucoses on there, which is really cool. And then alpha track has a really interesting website as well that has information. Um, So just using some of that for your pets um, and your clients is Mm -hmm. is really good. So tip of the week is, I guess, using your online resources wisely. (laughs) Yes. The tech treasure trove is, I feel we're, it's going to constantly evolve. So definitely sign up for it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll just add as we kind of go. Mm -hmm. And now for the question of the week. So our question of the week this week is, is there something about diabetes that you'd like to know more about, or even something that you learned today that you didn't know about diabetes? I know upon research, we've learned a lot recently. (laughs) I feel like it's an ever evolving learning curve. So much so. Everything's changing so frequently. Cause like I said, since I've been to tech school, it's, it's very different than what I learned so many years ago. Right. I feel it, it. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that is I remember in tech school, my um, lowest grade was in body systems, <laughs> which is ironic because that's what I basically do now. Like it was all endocrine. Yeah. That's how the website's formed. And, and I'm like, huh, that's really funny that that is what I know the most about now. Um, it's pretty, I got to say though, since tech school, I've definitely become more apt to learning like about just yeah. more details about anatomy and physiology that I didn't really care to know about before. But now that we see so many intricate diseases, I think well, it's and interesting I think it was to know. So overwhelming in tech school. Oh, definitely. Right? I was like feedback loop. I'm like, what the hell's a feedback loop? So when well, honestly in tech yeah. school, I was like, I just want to start helping dogs. <laughs> Why do <laughs> I, I need start to with the basics? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> I just want to do cool things like draw blood. Yeah. Now I, I can read the small animal internal medicine for vet techs and nurses book and feel, I'm like, Oh yeah, I saw that dog that had that disease. Oh yeah. I saw that cat that did that. So exactly. It is nice to put a, oh, definitely to put a patient with a disease makes it way easier to understand. Cause you're like, that's why they're PUPD. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's why that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Those are so. my favorite moments. Mm-hmm. I, I had so many of those moments when studying my test. Oh, yeah. And it makes it easier too to study. Like if I could put a patient with a disease, it made it so much easier. Yeah. So the question of the week was, is there something about diabetes that you'd like to know more about um, or something that you learned during this episode that you didn't know before? And if you would like to answer the question of the week, you can go to imfpp.org forward slash show notes or internal medicine for vettex.com slash podcast show notes. And you can look for episode seven 
Also go back and look at any of the previous episodes to answer those questions of the week. We do like to see those comments and we'd like to shout you out. Yeah. And um, remember that since you did listen to this episode, all you have to do is answer five questions and you can get a CE certificate too. So uh, we've got a lot of options for you. Please let us know if there's anything else that you'd like to see from us. We uh, are trying to do our best to make this the most valuable it can be for you and we'd love to get some feedback from you and uh i think is there anything else that we need to talk about or is this is this wrap for diabetes it's a wrap sweet all right guys have a wonderful week and we will talk to you next tuesday Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.